How about Romans chapter 5 this morning? Romans chapter 5. This past week I had the privilege of attending the Basics Conference up at Parkside Church in Aurora. And I got to listen to uh, Alistair Begg, of course, who's one of my favorites. And Tim Keller this time was there. And uh, if any of you have listened to Tim Keller in the past, he was definitely a blessing. As a matter of fact, one of his sermons was so spectacularly good that I almost, almost had Tim Keller preaching here this morning. I almost decided to play that video for you, but I still may do that because it was such a good thing. I would love for you to hear it, but maybe sometime in the future. Thank you for those who prayed during the, during the conference. It was a blessing and an encouragement. Well, Romans chapter 5, let's look at verse number 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans and uh, the deep and wonderful, uh, seemingly unsearchable depths of truth that we find here. And I, I pray today that you would guide us and direct us as we just for a few moments look at a couple verses. Teach us, Lord. Father, we believe in the Holy Spirit and we pray that now he would fill me uh, to speak and fill us all to hear. And uh, may he be our teacher today. Uh, calm my heart and mind, Lord. Help me to concentrate today. Calm us all. To take take uh, all the distractions away. And help us, Lord, today to think about this, this wonderful truth, these wonderful uh, benefits of our justification. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been learning about the gospel for quite a few weeks now from this masterpiece that is the book of Romans that the Apostle Paul wrote. Right at the start, he laid that out as his theme, didn't he? And I don't know that we've read this theme verse very much lately, but Romans chapter 1, verse 16 is the theme of the, of the book, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And throughout the four chapters we've been looking at so far, the Apostle Paul has masterfully uh, developed uh, that thesis. He has been teaching us that wonderful truth that justification is a result of faith. Faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And he said that several places. He said it in chapter 3. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, being justified freely by His grace. He said it also in chapter 3 and verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so we've been learning that. 
On May 3rd, 1970, a 12-year-old boy, me, was sitting in this church listening to a pastor preach. I had done that nearly every Lord's Day for some years prior to that, but for some reason that day was different. For some reason on that day I was beginning to hear it personally. I came to understand that I was a sinner. And you say, 12 years old? Come on! Yeah, I was a sinner. I was old enough to know right and wrong. I was old enough to lie to my parents. I was old enough to cheat and beat up on my siblings. I was old enough to do all those 12-year-old type sins. And I knew it. But see, that's what Paul taught in the first three chapters, isn't it? When he was talking about our universal need for a Savior. Everyone who has ever lived on this earth, other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is a sinner. It doesn't matter whether you're only 12 years old. You're still in need of a Savior. He said it several ways. He said uh, in chapter 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, not one. There's no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, as a 12-year-old boy, I heard the pastor preaching, and I understood that as well as I could at that at that age. I, I listened as he described Jesus' death. I, dis, uh, I listened as he described the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me and in my place. I, dis, I heard him describing the fact that my sins had been placed on Jesus and that he nailed them all to the tree. I heard him describing how when Jesus said it is finished on the cross and bowed his head and died, that my sin died with him. I didn't totally understand all that. And you know what? I don't totally understand all that now. I doubt anybody in the room does, but I heard it and I believed it. And here is the amazing thing that we have learned from Paul's lectures to the Romans here. The minute I believed it, my sins were gone. I mean, gone. Just as if they had never happened. And amazingly, not only the 12-year-old sins of a 12-year-old boy, but the also yet future sins, the rotten sins of the teenager that he was to become. And the grown-up sins of the man. And some of the grown-up sins that haven't yet been committed. Every one of them. All of them gone. Have you been getting that as we've been talking about Romans? Because that's what Paul's been talking about. He's used some words to explain all of it. He used the word, the uh, big word, propitiation. I like that word. And every time I say it, your eyes glaze over. Propitiation. He said that in Romans chapter 3. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. That word means satisfaction. It means atonement. So in other words, Jesus' death on the cross satisfied God's wrath concerning my sin. It was sufficient to atone for my sin, all my sin. Not just those 12-year-old ones, but everyone that I would ever commit. All satisfied and covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Is that not amazing? Paul used another word. He, he, he spoke of imputation. We talked about this last week or a couple weeks ago. Romans chapter 4, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. My sins were imputed to Christ. In other words, they were credited to his account. And at the same time, in their place, his righteousness was credited to my account. He took my sins away. And replace them with his righteousness. No more sins. Gone. Only righteousness. His. Now, if that doesn't astonish you, I don't know what possibly could. It is amazing to think that all of my sins were laid on him. And all of his righteousness was laid on me. 
imputation. Wonderful. He also spoke of, and perhaps more of this than of any other word that he's used so far, uh, of justification. Justification. Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Romans chapter 4. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3. It's a legal term. It means declared righteous in the mind of God. (laughs) When that 12-year-old boy believed, the judge of the universe said, guiltless. (laughs) That's astonishing. Righteous, just as if he had never sinned. Justification. This is glorious truth, isn't it? The just by faith shall live, nor fear the powers of hell. All blessings that a God can give in Christ most richly dwell. By faith in Jesus' blood, the just shall live indeed, shall have a settled peace with God, and from their sins be freed. Have you been thinking through the implications of this? Because this is personal stuff. This is not just some uh, esoteric truth that you ought to be thinking about and setting it alongside of other wonderful things you know. This is stuff that affects your heart. This is real. This is about you. Have you been thinking through the implications? Some here today have sat through (laughs) 11 messages so far from the book of Romans. And every one of them speaks to these things. So have you been thinking about it? Have you been applying it? Have you been examining your own state and determining whether or not you need, like that 12-year-old boy did on May 3rd, 1970, to believe and to receive the justification that comes by faith? Because you see, it's important because now uh, we've come to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, Paul is going to turn his attention to some of the results of justification, some of the benefits of justification. He's going to deal with it again and maybe more in detail in Romans chapter 8, but he's going to start here in chapter 5. And it's very important to understand that whereas chapters 1 through 4 of Romans applied to every single person in the room, whereas chapters 1 through 4 were all about uh, the fact that everybody needs a Savior and everybody can be saved, now we come to chapter 5, and this is not for everybody. This is for those who have been saved. This is the result of justification. This is for those who have believed. And so if you're among the number who say, you know what, I haven't quite figured that out yet. I haven't quite made a decision for Christ. I don't know if I ever will. Well, I hope you listen to this and I hope you see what you're missing out on. Because apart from turning your life over to Christ, this is not yours. But it's mine. And it's true of every other person in here who has been justified by faith. So let's notice some of the benefits of justification. We're only going to look at the first two verses this morning. I had every intention of preaching all 11 verses today, but uh, there's just too much here, so we'll split it up a little bit. The first two verses, we notice that there are three different uh, benefits or results of justification. He talks about that those who have been justified by faith now have peace, they now have access, and they now have hope. Let's notice those three things. Justification brings peace. Number one, verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember how much time Paul spent describing the fact that God is bad at us? Do you remember that? Some of you remember with some dismay how that seemed to drag on through several different messages. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, chapter 1. In accordance with your hardness and your impenitent hearts, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, Romans chapter 2. He spent a lot of time 
beating that horse and making sure we knew it. That was the first truth he taught us, that in our natural state we are enemies of God and we are in a state of war with him. And he described that other places too. He also described that state of war in his letter to the Ephesians. He said in Ephesians chapter four, he, or chapter two, he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the Enmity. Did you know that you were an enemy of God? And apart from Christ, you are. Enmity is the word used to describe our state before we knew Christ. We were enemies of God. We were at war with God. And He with us. His wrath was directed at us and remains directed at all who die outside of Christ. But the glorious benefit of being justified by faith, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the hostilities have ceased, and in their place we have peace. There is no more war. He is no longer angry, not even a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's what Fanny Crosby was thinking about. When she wrote these words, O Jesus, my Savior, all glory to Thee, sweet peace in believing, Thou givest to me peace. Peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Of course, there's another way of stating this truth. In this first benefit of justification, Paul is really describing, is he not, just how secure we are. The war is over. We're safe once we're saved. We're secure in Him. We can be assured that once we are justified, we're always justified. We oftentimes say, once we're saved, we're always saved. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. He's teaching the security of the believer when he says that we have peace with God. If you've taken the FBC 101 class, you know that's exactly the way it's taught here. We teach the mechanics of salvation. We teach what a person needs to believe, understand, and do in order to be saved. And then immediately we remind them, we remind them that uh, once that's done, it never has to be done again. Now they have peace with God. Now they're secure in Him. Now they're safe. Do you see it? We who have been justified by faith in Christ are at peace. We are secure. We are safe. In him. He's going to go on and he's going to discuss some other benefits of justification. And as I said, it's going to go all the way through chapter 8 and really kind of peak in chapter 8. But they all flow from this one. This one has to be there first. If there's not an end to the hostilities between us and God, none of the other benefits can come. Peace with God is the first one. Now, before I leave this topic, there's an important distinction I need to make because some of you might be sitting here this morning and thinking some things. Some of you might be going through some things, and you might be saying, I don't feel much peace. Some of you might be sitting here this morning, and there's there's difficulties or struggles in your life. Satan, your adversary and the enemy of your soul, may be working you over. It's possible. You may have made some choices. There may be some things in your life that have brought painful repercussions. Sin will do that, for example. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't feel much peace. I'm going through a storm. 
Well, that leads to the distinction we need to make. You see, what Paul's saying here is we who are justified by faith have peace with God. But there's another thing described in the Bible, and it's different, and that is the peace of God. And we need to make a distinction between those two. Both are described, both are in the Bible, and both are different. Peace with God. That's one thing. We enter into peace with God, as Paul describes here, uh, when we are justified by faith. When we are saved, that takes place. Once we have that peace with God, we always have it. But the peace of God ebbs and flows, doesn't it? We might have it one day, and the next day we might not. It's affected by our circumstances. One day we might feel it, and another we might not. Peace with God is a settled possession of the believer that does not vary with circumstances. The peace of God can be affected by our circumstances and choices. Peace, peace with God is a possession. The peace of God is more accurately described as a feeling. The peace of God is described in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I mean, think about the difference. And I'll leave you to ponder the distinction a little bit on your own. You can read your Bible and you can see that it's there. But I think it's important for us to understand that this peace with God that Paul is talking about here and, and as a result of justification is a possession that can never go away. It describes the fact that when we are justified, our relationship with God is secure. There's nothing standing between us and him ever again. And that's the first benefit of the justification. And that is peace. Peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number two. Justification not only brings peace, it also brings access. Access. Verse two. Through whom we also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access. When we visited Israel last year, we toured the museum in Jerusalem the first time in four different trips there that we've ever done that. And it was very interesting. Many, many artifacts on display there. One of the artifacts that we saw was a sign which had once been displayed. It was a Roman sign and it had been displayed on the Temple Mount somewhere. And it was basically saying, don't pass this line. It's basically saying there's no access beyond this point. And let me explain. I read about this in uh, uh, something by James, uh, James Boyce. Here's what he had to say about it. He said, if you were to have approached the Temple Mount in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus Christ, you would have been confronted with a wall that divided the courtyard of the Gentiles from what lay beyond. That wall meant what it said. No Gentile could go beyond it. And the penalty for thus violating the sanctity of the inner courtyard was death. Even the Romans upheld this penalty and there were placed signs placed in warning, two of which have since been discovered and are in museums. And one of those is what we saw. Jews could go forward, of course, but even Jewish worshipers would soon come to a second wall. This wall divided the courtyard of the women from the courtyard of the men. Here all Jewish women had to stop. And beyond that was still another wall. And past it only Jewish priests could go. They could perform the sacrifices and enter the holy place of the temple. But here there was a final barrier, the great curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Beyond that barrier, only one person could ever go, and that was the high priest who could enter only on the Day of Atonement to present the blood of the sacrifice that had been offered for the sins of the people moments before in the outer courtyard. Access was limited. Access was restricted. For the common man, the common woman, people like you and me, access was non-existent. 
you simply could not go there. You couldn't go into the presence of God. But then this amazing thing happened. Jesus died on the cross. It's an amazing thing. And the sins of every man and woman were laid on him there, imputed to him, as we learned in that previous lesson. And he became the propitiation for the sins of all. And he was the final sacrifice. And that Good Friday became the final day of atonement. And you know what happened? The curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Matthew chapter 27 verse 51 says, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And you know what that was saying? That was saying we now have access to the very holiest place. Now all who believe in Him, all who are thus justified by faith, can walk right in to the very place where once none but the blood-protected high priest could go, the very presence of God. That's one of the results of justification. Access. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access. You know, that word uh, is an interesting one. It translates a Greek word which means privilege of approach to a person of high rank. That's what we have. We have the privilege to approach the highest ranking person in the universe. God himself. That word is only used two other places in our New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And also in Ephesians chapter 3. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Access. We, we, we no longer need a priest to go in our place. For we can go ourselves into the very presence of God. Now, as Paul told Timothy, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We go because we are his access. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Access. Now, no doubt when we think about this particular benefit of justification, the most obvious application is prayer, right? Prayer. We can come before God in prayer. We have access to God in prayer. We can go directly to Him. We can confess our sins directly to Him. Uh, don't, don't let anybody fool you and tell you that you need some go-between. Don't let anybody fool you and tell you that you need some priest to confess your sins to, that you need to go to some confessional. No. You can pray. You can kneel before His throne yourself if you are saved, if you have been justified by faith. Uh, the other is error. Esther in our Old Testament is a good illustration of this, by the way. Remember the story of Esther? It's a hilarious story, by the way. It's one of my favorite things to read in the Bible because you cannot help but read it without laughing out loud. Haman was the enemy of the Jews. And Haman managed to get a decree passed that all the Jews were to be killed. And Esther was a Jew and the queen. And so Esther was convinced by her relative Mordecai that she ought to go before the king. You need to go into that throne room and you need to plead for your people. But here's the problem. Just as it was not possible for a person to go into the holiest of holies, it was not possible for someone to come into the presence of the king in that culture without having your head lopped off. And so she did. She went into the presence of the king and he accepted her. She had access. And it's a wonderful picture, is it not, of what we have in our justification by faith. We have access right into the very throne room of God. Well, one other 
Justification brings peace, it brings access, and finally, justification brings hope. The end of verse number two there, that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, I'll just mention it. Let you meditate on it a bit. But the third benefit of justification that Paul mentions here is our hope for the future. Paul has certainly made it clear, has he not, in the first three chapters of Romans, that those outside of Christ have no reason for hope. Uh, They have nothing to look forward to, every reason for despair. The future for unjustified sinners is beyond bleak. The future for an unjustified sinner is hell. The Bible is as clear about that as it is possible to be. But those who have believed, those who have been justified by faith, can rejoice in hope, he says. Because we look forward to that day when faith is sight. We look forward to that great reunion. We look forward to the reward. We look forward to the consummation where the lost dare not even think about their future. We who have been justified by faith, we can rejoice in hope. It's a glorious benefit. Well, so we see three benefits of being justified by faith. Peace with God, access to God, and hope in a future with God. Now, Paul's not done with this topic. He has a lot more benefits of our justification yet to discuss. But those three are a pretty good start, aren't they? They give us a reason to smile. I see a few smiling. It's wonderful to think of these these benefits. Just as an aside, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but just as an aside, it's interesting to notice that in this passage of Scripture, all three tenses of our salvation are mentioned. Did you see that there? We talk about this from time to time. Several places in the Bible we learn that salvation takes place in three different tenses. There's a past tense to salvation, there's a present tense to salvation, and there's a future tense to salvation. We've, we've made mention in the fact of the fact that when we trusted Christ in the past, we were saved at that moment, past tense, from the penalty for sin, right? We'll never stand before God for our sin, saved from that. And we've also made mention of the fact that in the present right now, the process of sanctification, we are progressively being saved from the power of sin over us, right? We should be anyway. It's a process that takes place throughout our life. That's the present tense. And then one day, glorious future day, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. So past tense penalty, present tense power, future tense, the very uh, presence of it. Do you see that here? We are justified by faith. That's the past tense of our salvation. Salvation from the penalty of sin. We have access by faith in prayer. Next week or two weeks from now, Lord willing, we'll talk about we glory in tribulations. Both of those are talking about our current life and how we live in this life. Present tense of our salvation. And then finally, uh, there's that future tense part where we rejoice in hope. Just an aside, just another little thought for you to think about. And, and, and as yet another aside, you might notice also that in this passage, all three members of the Trinity are clearly seen here. Take a look there and you'll see them in the first five verses. But those are just separate things. Let me conclude, and let me conclude with just a simple question. A simple question. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Do you have it? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Or are you like so many that are still at war with Him? You see, if a 12-year-old boy could believe in Jesus and be justified, and at that moment receive every one of these benefits, so too can you. You can believe. You can be saved. You can have peace. And once you have that peace, you can experience the joy of direct access to the Father and of hope for a glorious future. Do you have that peace? You can have it. 
if you will just say, I want it.